Hello and welcome to From the Void Up, world building with science and sociology, a world building guide for anyone who cares too much about the minutiae. I'm your host, Tyler Hadar, and if we're all ready to go, let's get building. So it's been a moment since I last put up an episode, and by a moment I mean two weeks. Today isn't even going to be a full episode because life just got a little busy over here. It's an election cycle, so I decided to volunteer for a local campaign for the State House of Representatives, and apparently doing cold calls for two hours every day is uh, a little bit draining. Who would have guessed? Apparently not me. So I've been a little bit otherwise occupied, but I did want to get something out to you all, and today what I have is the history of dwarves, because this stuff is interesting to me, and I can talk about it without having to scramble for an interview, because that's honestly the harder part of this entire podcast. Before we can really talk about who popularized dwarves, which is obviously Tolkien, we need to talk a little bit about where he got inspiration. Dwarves as a fantasy race really start with Germanic and Norse mythologies much before they ever arrived in Middle-earth. In Germanic stories, they lived in hollowed-out mountains and were renowned metalsmiths and had tons of magical items. They were often considered heroic and strong in these epics. They also had invisibility cloaks, or generally the ability to turn invisible, although this particular trait never really stuck around, so... Aye, but apparently that was a thing. And they're described as short-bearded and having superhuman strength. So the majority of this does feel familiar to dwarves that we see in fantasy today, but with a couple added bonuses of more magic to them. In Norse mythologies, dwarves are born of maggots eating the corpse of Ymir, the primordial father of Odin, or at least in the prose Edda. In the Poetic Edda, which is just a different version of the same stories, it introduces them as being born of the blood and bone of Ymir, not necessarily something subsisting off the body, but more something coming from it. It's a little bit different if you think about, like, are you consuming the body or are you from the body, and the level of importance that that being would then have. Physically, they are, again, short and bearded, although in this consideration they are often rather ugly. And the communities live in Nidavellir, which looks just about like any underground system of halls, more or less, again, exactly like Tolkien introduced them. And, again, Tolkien followed suit in most of these ways, as they are known for their metalsmithing, but are also associated with death, and were often murderous and predatorial. So, you know, a little bit darker than Tolkien really took forward. Both of these origins are more or less how Tolkien copied and pasted the dwarves over, even down to names that are listed straight from the Voluspa. I'm probably pronouncing that name wrong, but he just straight up copied and pasted names from a couple of epics, just minus all of the murderous, creepy stuff that the story sometimes pushed. And it makes complete sense that he would have drawn from Norse and Germanic mythologies. Tolkien's main goal in writing about Middle-earth was a search for rewriting European mythology, more or less. He wanted to take what was known and readjust it and make it grander, writing his own mythologies inside of a world based entirely on the mythologies of our own. It was essentially mythological fanfiction at its core. And he loved Norse and Germanic writings in particular. He often wrote in Gothic, which is a Eastern Germanic language from around the early 1000s, more or less resurrecting the language by actually making new literature for the otherwise abandoned language. 
He also clearly read Middle-High Germanic, which was more Western and slightly younger and more frequently used versions of Germanic from a similar time as the Gothics, though it definitely has a lot more literature associated with it. And of course, he has literally published translations of the poetic and prose Eddas, so he definitely knew those stories extremely well. For him, at the beginning of writing The Hobbit, dwarves were just a rehash from these old stories and tropes he'd learned over the years of translation and investigations into their origins. However, over the course of The Hobbit's writing and publication, things start getting a little bit complicated with these tropes. For starters, after The Hobbit was published, the Nazis requested that they publish a German translation. Anytime Nazis want your book published and distributed in their areas of control, you really need to think why they would be interested in that. They were notorious for book burning and limiting literature that they disagreed with, so clearly something in The Hobbit resonated with the Nazi fascist perspective. And that's not a perspective you want to associate with, so what was going on with The Hobbit that the Nazis liked? Well, what resonated with the Nazis was the very subtle but definitely not subtle at all parallels between dwarves and the Jewish people, which people don't really notice that much, but when you're Jewish like me, it gets painfully obvious. So let's list some of the tropes that Tolkien included and carried forward for dwarves to get a sense of how close these parallels really were. Spoilers for The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and Silmarillion ahead if you are looking to avoid those. So, A. Diaspora. At no point in any text of Middle-earth or Arda as a whole have the dwarves ever had a consistent home. The Hobbit is a story about these dwarves looking to reclaim their homeland, written around the exact same time the Zionist movement was gathering speed. The Lord of the Rings shows dwarves losing Khazad-dûm and struggling with that loss. Even with the first introduction of dwarves at the Council of Elrond, Glóin is there partially because there's a Nazgul pestering King Dane, but also because they're looking to attempt to reclaim Khazad-dûm yet again. At no point are they ever fully home, and no book does a better job of displaying that than The Hobbit. The whole point of the book is the wandering of the dwarves in a quest to reclaim their homeland. That phrasing is extremely similar to Zionist phraseology, so it's a really hard parallel to miss when you've heard that perspective growing up. B. Physical descriptors. Now, these are slightly difficult to fully justify as being specifically anti-Semitic, as all of these are derived from pre-existing texts. Tolkien did not come up with the idea that dwarves are short and bearded, but I do believe that he actually added in large hooked nose descriptors on his own, so that that's not great. These physical descriptors 100% match Nazi propaganda that was used to defame and dehumanize the Jewish people. There were tons of posters depicting glowering men with long faces and noses, always drawn roughly and looking menacing, to infuse that image of Jews into the public's mind. Movies would always reduce Jews to being materialistic, financially driven, thieving, morally bankrupt, and generally subhuman. Lots of this would get paired with dramatized physical stereotypes. Dwarves A match the physical descriptors, and B fall into that financially driven, thieving, morally bankrupt category in most of the literature that Tolkien was using as a source. 
and Tolkien did improve on them slightly, taking out the moral bankruptcy, or at the very least making sure that no one was infinitely less corrupt or greedy. If anything, the elves practically created greed with the Silmarils. No one was immune to them or power. And the elves then being presented as aloof, amazing above human categories, even though they did have endless faults, kind of balances. But Tolkien did continue with the materialistic, goal-driven, financially focused image of dwarves. One particular quote always stands out to me when I do a reread of The Hobbit, and this is after the dwarves have made it into have made it into the Lonely Mountain. The mere fleeting glimpses of treasure which they had caught as they went along had rekindled all the fire of their dwarvish hearts, and when the heart of a dwarf, even the most respectable, is awakened by gold and by jewels, he grows suddenly bold, and he may become fierce. I hope how, with this context, you understand how that can probably make a Jewish reader uncomfortable, like it makes me uncomfortable every time. Or perhaps, if I just replace dwarvish with Jewish, it will become even more obvious. So, the mere fleeting glimpse of treasure which they had caught as they went along had rekindled all the fire of their Jewish hearts, and when the heart of a Jew, even the most respectable, is awakened by gold and by jewels, he suddenly grows bold, and he may become fierce. So, that just sounds like some classic and straightforward anti-Semitism when you realize that there were intended parallels. But even then, we do have to remember that Tolkien was not maliciously anti-Semitic. What happened here is that Tolkien and the Nazis were more or less drawing from the same sources, but for different purposes. Like I started this with, dwarves of this description come from Norse and Germanic mythologies. Part of the Nazis' goals was to resurrect German heritage, which included their old mythologies and legendarium, with the intention to reaffirm their cultural superiority by proving that the Aryan nation could do away with Greek and Roman and outside mythologies, and could instead have that glorious pseudo-history with their own writings. So they started to repopularize old myths, which inevitably led them to find old descriptions of dwarves in these tales and realizing it was an absolute treasure trove of negative stereotypes to draw on. They pulled these tropes forward and essentially made a new fantasy race of Jewish people based on the dwarves, retrofitting the Jewish identity into something that they could use to manipulate the populace. This also then factors into the subhuman race that they wanted Jews to be, as dwarves are often considered a subhuman category in these writings, which Tolkien actually, in my personal opinion, did make worse through his dwarven creation story. Dwarves were created by one of the Valar Aliyeh and was never fully accepted by Eru Iluvatar, who's Tolkien's monotheistic god figure. Dwarves are considered a second-class race in Middle-earth, the second awoken, and never part of the original plan. If anything, that makes me the most annoyed about Tolkien's dwarves overall. It's this and the very obvious level of second-class existence and value in stories that he lets them provide. But on to how Tolkien drew from these old mythologies. Because Tolkien was very proud of his German ancestry in a much more mild way, and thought that the classic tropes that fit into European mythologies once would do so nicely again. This is not to say that he was not aware of the fact that there are parallels to the Jewish people. He has openly acknowledged that he based Kuzdul, the language of the dwarves, on Semitic formations. Hebrew is based around three consonant root words, and then applies any variation onto those three root consonants to make related words. 
Kuzduel does the same thing. Also, he has literally said, and this is a quote, I do think of the dwarves like Jews, at once native and alien in their habitations, speaking the languages of the country but with an accent due to their native tongue. Tolkien was 100% aware of the position he was putting dwarves in, but never out of malice and definitely out of ignorance. So when the Nazis wrote and asked Tolkien if they could make a German translation, they of course asked if he had any Jewish ancestry, as it was illegal to publish anything written by anyone who could possibly be Jewish in any way, shape, or form. And his response is pretty legendary. It is the politest yet clearest F.U. ever written, where he says, just to pull a quote from it, I can only reply that I regret that I appear to have no ancestors of that gifted people. If you haven't read the full letter yet, look up Tolkien's reply to the Nazis or something, because it is so tastefully done and it's, it's a must read. It is very good. As for his depictions of dwarves in The Hobbit, he later acknowledged the error in his ways and included Gimli in The Lord of the Rings as an apology. So he wasn't ever maliciously anti-Semitic. What he did was passively perpetuate a problem and then over time started to make amends when he realized his wrongdoings, which I respect his recognition and his moving forward. I'm still a little annoyed about the Allier and Origin stuff, but you know... He, he tried to make some progress. Nowadays, people don't really notice the parallels that much, and that's honestly not terrible. I'd love to let dwarves just return to the original state of being as just another fantasy race from some old texts that got dumped into modern recreations. But unfortunately, the fact of the matter is that there is a lot of anti-Semitism tossed in there. Which leaves us creators with the question of what do we want to include and what do we want to get rid of? How much do we really intend to change about these tropes that started out with one intention because they now carry more subtle meanings? The tropes are full of dog whistles and I personally don't want to be attracting any dogs to my story, so I personally try to readjust the tropes to make it clear that I recognize and relish the origins and elevate dwarves as a way to elevate me and my Jewish heritage. Whenever I see those where in Middle Earth would you live questions, the answer will always be Casa Doom. And if you call it Moria when referring to the city in its prime or reclamation, I will smack you. That is a derogatory elvish word meaning dark abyss, and screw that, Casa Doom means the mansion of the dwarves and I am standing by my origins. According to the Nazis, I'm cut from the same cloth as the dwarves, and if that is the case, then I guess I would be a dwarf in any fantasy setting, and I can make that mean whatever I darn well please. So, when including dwarves in your settings, just remember to include the glory and splendor before the greed. Remember the family trees carefully recorded because children are named after their ancestors, carrying on legacies that led to the present. Remember the hot-headed debates that taught us how to defend our stances, and the massive family gatherings for all of those holidays of good food and celebrating not dying in all of those attempted genocides. Since we can't get rid of the parallels, we might as well embrace it and just do it better this time. And that about wraps it up for today. 
and I just want to give you all a little bit of a schedule update before I let you go. So I am probably not going to be posting another full episode with an interview until after the election, since right now my volunteer work is taking priority. But I do intend to do another one of these shorter, just me deep diving into the negative sides of a fantasy trope, or maybe I'll expand on dwarves, or maybe I'll do kobolds and the anti-Semitism of kobolds, because I can talk about anti-Semitism forever. So, um, I haven't quite decided on what the next one's going to be, but the next full episode will probably be November 11th, which happens to be Veterans and Armistice Day. So that's fancy. Now, I kind of wish that I could drop my usual scheduling to cover militaries then, but no, I have an, I have a plan, and it, I still want it to be definitions of diversity and fantasy, and I'm just going to have to do that, and military will be later because I do have it on the docket. But anyway, if you have any person questions between now and then, or just want me to take a look at what you're building, reach out. Shoot me an email at fromthevoidup at gmail.com or find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fromthevoidup. I immediately stopped posting there after I said that I would post more, and I quite frankly won't be active until after the election most likely, but I do have those accounts if you want any updates or I might start posting like... Uh, maybe like a link or something to Tolkien's letter that he wrote. That's an easy post. I'll, I'll post that over there. So check it out and maybe even follow because eventually I'm going to start posting, I promise. And also, I respond to DMs a lot faster than emails, so feel free to reach out there and just stay in contact. Even if I can't make a whole episode out of anything you ask, I am so down to help you research because, I mean, it's pretty fun, you know? Digging through stuff and researching, pretty fun. And if it's a big enough question that you've asked, I could add it to the list of episodes to do. Thank you so much for listening to From the Void Up. Subscribe to this podcast with whichever streaming site you use and leave a review if you liked it, or if you didn't, honestly. Special thanks to Jerry Ritigliano for the theme music and Dylan Desmaris for the art. I've been your host, Tyler Hadar. In the meanwhile, keep on building, and I'll see you all next week. Probably. <laughs>